This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Here you go. Here you go. Aaron Judge, this season was a failure. He said it, I didn't, but I could have said it, I wanted to say it. When you're the New York Yankees and you have been to the World Series in every decade since 1910, what do you call it when you don't make it to the World Series? Now, it's not all Judge's fault. He's only been there several years. He's not even arbitration eligible until next season, which means for the Yankees, this was the last year that Judge came cheaply. Next year, he gets more expensive. How many other teams would have viewed this as a failure? All the teams who didn't make the playoffs would love to lose in the LCS. There's extra revenue. You get money. It helps for next season, more season ticket holders. It helps with all your sponsors. So why would Aaron Judge call it a failure? Because when you're the Yankees, it is a failure. When everyone in the room can identify exactly what the team is supposed to do and they don't do it, that's how you know when you're a failure. To leave Aaron Judge as the main spokesperson following a loss like that, that's a failure. I wanna hear from management what they're gonna do to turn this around and make the next decade better than the last decade. They're losing a lot of players, but not Aaron Judge. Will he be a failure next year? Wait to see. That ALCS game that we watched Saturday night, I would assume that you were all watching. Well, just part of it, right? Four hours and nine minutes was the Saturday night game. It was a game of bullpens, which is understandable, it's actually not understandable at all. Why is it that you couldn't find a team with four starters with those payrolls? Now, granted, Houston has top three pitchers along with the Nationals. The Yankees have no starters to speak of, so they had to go bullpen game. But don't tell me it's because of the rainout. I could have arranged the rotation so Cole would have pitched game six, which is what Jack McKean would have done. And you put Severino in for game six if it's a must win. You don't depend. Let me just check it to make sure that we're all on the same page. Seven pitchers each team used. That's 14 total pitchers in game six. And you wonder why it went four hours and nine minutes? I stayed awake for the whole thing, except for the Altuve home run. My eyes were glazed over. I assumed that Chapman would not pitch to Altuve with Jake Marisnik on deck. Although I would have pitched to him, but I certainly wouldn't have hung a slider. But that's, I understand that you make a mistake if you're a pitcher. But what Chapman did to Altuve, it's inexcusable. It's why Chaplin, Chaplin, it's why Chapman was smiling. Did you see that great picture of him at the end? He serves up the hanging slider. He gives it to Altuve. And then he just does this. That's the look of someone who cannot believe 
that someone my size just took him deep to walk him off. But Chapman doesn't throw a 100 anymore, and his slider is not lights out and knee bucking the way it used to be. He's got a long contract ahead of him. He's got an opt-out. Will he use it? Here's why he doesn't. What he's doing right now with his agent is they're out looking to see, can he possibly make more money than he's making with the Yankees? Well, I know exactly what his contract was because we offered Chapman with the Marlins, a team that I used to work for for many years, 16 to be exact, one ring with a crazy bullpen. Anyway, Chapman tried to sign him. He chose New York. What we didn't realize is his velocity would decline. His slider would become adequate, but certainly not the out pitch and that he would choose to hang one right at the end to Altuve. And Altuve did what he was supposed to do because he's an MVP. So where do the Yankees go from here? What do you do when you lose in the ALCS and you're the New York Yankees? When it's the first time in a decade that you have not been to the World Series at all since the 1910s, it's the first time. They missed a whole decade. They've got a lot of changes. Brett Gardner, that could have been the end of his career as a Yankee, the longest standing Yankee. He was there when they won in 09. He's been there this whole time, free agent. You bring him back, he played more than he was supposed to play this year, and that's what happens with injuries. They gotta do better. Edwin Encarnacion, bring him back? No. A trade deadline acquisition when Brian Cashman should have been going for pitching, he went for hitting, and all of the pundits, all of the people in the media said, what an unbelievable lineup, the Yankees, this is fantastic. Well, if you watch CBS Sports HQ, you heard me say the Yankees were built to get to October, not to get through October. We talked about it on a show last week. That is a major thing when you are a general manager of a team. You have to not say to yourself, I'm good just getting in, because that is a cop-out. It's not good enough just to get in. The ring is the thing. They've got Giancarlo Stanton. One more year, the contract we signed him to was an interesting contract. It was after he got hit in the face, as you recall, and we offered him 13 years, 325 million. What you may not remember is Giancarlo Stanton has an opt-out after the 2020 season. Now that opt-out is to be used one time and the remainder of his contract after next year is seven years, 210 million. So I ask you, would anyone sign Giancarlo Stanton right now to 211 million over seven years? Because if you offer him more money, that's when a player opts out. The way he was this year, it's very unlikely, but if he go, comes back and competes for the AL MVP next year, hits 55 home runs, plays 152 games, it is possible that he will get more than that in the open market. I'm watching Brian Cashman in my head go to church or temple praying for that. I think so, I think I see him. I think Giancarlo is capable of it, wait to see whether or not he does it. Not the only issue, rotation. C.C. Sabathia announced his retirement today. Another loss for the Yankees, much more so off the field than on the field. He was pitching like a number four or five starter at best, did not even make the division series roster. He was put on the LCS roster. In my opinion, it was a mistake. They put him on as almost a thank you. Aaron Boone said he was ready. We watched him throw bullpens. His knee looks good. His shoulder looks good. His body looks good. Come on, really? So they put him on the LCS roster. He comes in and basically his shoulder gave out in game five and that was the end of his career. They did replace him on the roster and that's the end of CC Sabathia's career. A great career, a Hall of Fame career, yes. A lights out pitcher in his prime, Cleveland, Milwaukee. 
Yankees World Series. But that leaves a hole in the rotation. The Yankees have a choice. They can go for Garrett Cole and pay him 250 or $260 million, or they can go after Jay Happ, James Paxton, and more of the mediocre stuff that goes on. To me, it just makes no sense when you are building a team to try and patch it together. That's what I did with the Marlins. <laughs> We're a patcher. We patch. We have a low payroll, and we try to see who can we bring in. How can we trade for a player who's going to get paid by the other team? The Dodgers were good at that. The Yankees helped us with that. We're always trying to figure out how to stretch the dollar. The Yankees have been acting more like the Marlins, and that makes no sense. The Yankees should be aggressively going after players because their team is worth more than any team in baseball. Their revenue is higher than any team in baseball. The question is, are they making money? That's a question that only they can answer, and I will tell you what I know, which is on an operational basis, the Yankees don't make money. But as an asset, it is an ever-increasing asset, and what is helpful to baseball is when the Yankees win, and when the Yankees win big. I don't root for it. I'm a small market, low-revenue guy, even though I'm a New Yorker. I'm happy when the Yankees lose, but I want them to lose in seven games to another big market team because that brings in more money to the league. The Yankees have a responsibility. And the austerity plan, the J-Hap, James Paxton austerity plan is not a good look. A bullpen game for game six of the LCS and baseball wonders why ratings are bad. I'm ranting about ravings because ratings matter. And when there's a bullpen game that lasts four hours and nine minutes on a Saturday night, I can go to dinner, I can watch Titanic, I can come home, I can have a glass of wine, and I can start the process of an Ambien, and I still am going to catch the last 40 minutes of the game. And, of course, the trophy ceremony. We've got to do something about that. The way to do it is you get deep starting pitching. You want to watch a crisp series? We're going to talk about it later in the show. The World Series is exactly the dream matchup, the Nationals and the Astros. So much more to talk about with those two teams. Oh, God, I got to talk about Jalen Ramsey. <laughs> Jalen Ramsey. Oh, my back hurts. I can't play for the Jaguars. Oh, my owner says I'm going to play. Oh, I can't play. Do you know that you can't prove a back injury? I had a long talk with Christian Yelich, really a great player, MVP. He has back issues. I never understood what back issues were until I started running many years ago. And I know what a back issue is. It's two things. It's painful, it's very hard to manage, and it's very hard to detect. Which means if you're a player and you don't want to play, all you do is say, my back hurts. I can't deny that if I'm the trainer. I can take an MRI, I can feel around, I can get a masseuse. They can say, oh, you've got an L4, L5, S5, S2 issue. You really don't know for sure. So Jalen Ramsey tells the Jaguars, A, I want to get traded. You're not going to trade me? Fine, my back hurts. Miraculously, he goes to the Rams and plays. His back got cured. Did he see some sort of witch doctor? Did he have medicine that he wasn't taking as a Jaguar? How do fans in Jacksonville feel about that? that he'd rather be in L.A. playing for the Rams. I say good riddance to Jalen Ramsey, and I hope your back 
will always feel better. Because if I'm a player and I want to control the narrative, I do what Jalen Ramsey did. But if I'm an owner, a president, or a GM, I don't let him. I am willing to sacrifice my season in order to not give Jalen Ramsey what he wants. Can you imagine what Khan, the owner, is thinking watching him play for the Rams? Sure, they got their picks. That's not enough. What would be enough is to make him sit and watch his bad back last all season, or better yet, put him on the restricted list before you let players dictate the moves that they can make or demanding trades. We simply are creating a beast by allowing players to do this, and I find it completely unacceptable. Do I wish him luck? Sure. Good luck in L.A., Jalen. That's all I can say about that. You know, speaking of players who are fighting with management, you've got Kalechi Osemele. Now, can we talk about Kalechi Osemele? Have you heard of him? Have you thought about what's going on there? It's staggering, actually. Um, so the first thing that's happening, this is a big man. And he's got an injury. Unlike Jalen Ramsey's back, his injury is a torn labrum. Now, I'm in baseball, torn labrums. We get it, we see it. It is incredibly easy to detect on both MRI and X-ray. It's not a question. When I say a tear, there are different stages of tears. Let me be clear. You know how when a hamstring gets hurt? Hey, he's got a strain one, hamstring level one, strain two. Well, that just depends on, picture the hamstring is on the bone and how ripped off the bone it is. The worst is when it's completely off, and that's like a grade four, good luck, see you next year. Uh, there's no such thing really as a pulled hamstring. It's strained or popped, those are just the grades of hurt. A labrum is sort of the same thing. I've had pitchers pitch through torn labrums. You can pitch with a torn labrum. The only problem is every pitch may be your last. So as we're planning our season and thinking about what to do, we cannot count on anyone who has a torn labrum. But we'll let him go because we don't want him to miss the year. We will go till he goes. It's like Tanaka. Do you guys know that Masahiro Tanaka is pitching with a torn ligament? Wei Yin Chen is pitching badly with a torn ligament. It happens. One day it's just gonna fully tear and that'll be the end of it. So the issue is he won't play because he wants surgery and the Jets, his team, are telling him, play, you don't need surgery. This is one of the great player management fights of all time. Because how do you win this? How do you make the player play when he thinks he's gonna hurt his career because he has no guaranteed money left? In baseball, if you're in year one of a guaranteed five-year deal and you've got a torn labrum, hey, I'm gonna play through it. If it, if it fully tears and I can't throw another pitch, I can't raise my arm above this, my arm is locked like that, no problem, I've got guaranteed money. But if you're Osemele, what is your incentive to play either with a chance that your labrum completely tears and you're out for longer, or B, you're ineffective because you're hurt, which actually hurts your ability to get money next year in free agency? Of course, there's no incentive for him to play. And from the Jet standpoint, I get it. We wanted to pitch our pitchers until our arms fell off. No problem, that's your job, keep pitching. You're hurt, pitch. Pitch until you cannot. That's what it is in football. Just play, play, get surgery later. He can get surgery in the off season, but he's refusing. This is called a standoff. This is like the Loraxes. Hey Coca, the Loraxes, Dr. Seuss. Do you know that? Do you know Dr. Seuss is one of my two favorite characters? 
the north going zacks and the south going zacks. It's two creatures that go around the world in opposite ways and they meet and they refuse to budge. They won't move. One guy won't go east-west, the other guy won't go east-west, and do you know what happens? They stay there forever, and an entire city gets built around them. Check it out, it's in Yertle Turtle and other stories. The North going and South going Zacks, that's Osemele and the New York Jets. They're not budging. They've got to budge or else there'll be zero progress made. I say, let him have the surgery, because if he's gonna come in and not be impactful, I'm worried that Sam Darnold gets hurt and there's other injuries that can take place. Football's just so different than baseball. The worst that happens to a pitcher who pitches when they're hurt is they're ineffective and we pull them anyway. No one's gonna get hurt unless it's a line drive off the face. <laughs> I got a good one for you. When I would... uh when I was running the Marlins, we had a uh, we had a great PR department, despite all evidence to the contrary. And we would talk about things that we would not want either the owner or me to say. And the top of the list, really, was always to talk about the manager when we knew the manager was going to be fired, or we knew that the manager was not going to get a contract, or we knew there was a decent chance there was going to be a managerial change. And it's not that this is this is just business, right? You don't want the word out there that can ever come back as saying, oh, you lied. What Arthur Blank did yesterday made me laugh. You know, the Falcons, they were just in the Super Bowl. They were up, I think, 28 to 6 or 28 to 3 over the Patriots and lost. And that was, I think, 2016, let's say, a couple of years ago. Since then, they had a good year, 10 and 6. Now, then they fell, and now they're falling again. So clearly, their window's closing, if not closed. And Arthur Blank still is ringless, and he's frustrated. And Dan Quinn's been there, and he basically said to him publicly, so I don't think he said it to him, he said, you know, I don't see any changes happening. I still support you. You've got my support. There's a playbook we have of lines that we say when we don't mean what we're saying. And it goes like this. We feel very good with the team we've built and we are very excited for what the future holds. We plan on building this team from the ground up with our fans in mind. That's number two. Losing is not acceptable. We will keep working hard to make sure that we give the fans a team that they deserve. That's three. Four. These aren't actually written down, but I've said them so many times. This is what we say. We are gonna sign the best players possible to bring a World Series back to the city that we love so much. That's five. And my final one is the best. We believe in our manager. <laughs> That's the last one, because that means he's getting fired. Wait to see later in the show what I think about that. Good old Arthur. What made me laugh about Arthur is that I don't think he even realized he was doing it. He wasn't the only coach being talked about, I spent a lot of time re-watching video of a guy named Matt Nagy. You may know him in Chicago. I used to name, be able to name all 32 NFL coaches. It's getting harder, but he's the coach of the Bears, and the Bears have a problem. They lost 36-25 to the Saints, but that wasn't the exciting part. What was exciting is how awful the Bears have been, and then what Matt Nagy said to the media, priceless. So what happens is people from outside try to pull you down, 
And the last thing that anybody's going to do, whether it's you guys or anybody else outside, it's you're not pulling us down. So um, we're going to be positive, and we're going to fight through it because that's what winning teams do, and that's what positive people and good people do. FLW. 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 Famous last words. Those could be his last words. I cannot believe that he actually used earmuffs twice, September 20th, and again yesterday. The same expression. Our players are wearing earmuffs. What is he, an old school with Vince Vaughn? He wants to, you think his players aren't on social media? You think his players don't read the negativity? One of my favorite things was to talk to players about that fact, and they all say the same thing. Publicly, we tell you, yeah, we don't read any of the criticism. We don't know anything that's going on. Sometimes we'll uh, mislead you and say, I never think about the negative. I just focus on the positive, or I really don't focus on any of that. Uh, not true. Let me decode this for you. Every single player keeps track of every single thing said about him, every single coach and manager, and every single executive. We've got people we pay to tell us things that are said to about us. Every tweet, every comment, we know all of it. We're told about it. Does it impact us? Some more than others. Me, not impacted. Others, quite impacted. Players, it depends. I've had sensitive players who, who can't perform. They're so upset when they get criticized. I've had players who count the number of times they appear in promo videos on the Jumbotron in between innings and have come up to me and said, I was only in two highlights. How come another player was in four? That's overly sensitive. I've had players come to the PR group or to me and say, this was said about me. I want it changed. Why did this broadcaster say this? So Matt, the head coach of the Bears, you're telling me that the only message to your players is about earmuffs and blinders? I've got a message to give to the players. It's called an offensive scheme. How about getting your quarterback, Mitchie, to be better and calling some plays that actually work? and maybe having a better team, instead of saying, no, no, we're, we're, we're hunkering down. Hold on, excuse me one second, I'm looking at my list. That's another one, number seven. We are hunkering down to give you the best team we can give you. Hunkering down. That's what Nagy needs to do with his team. So I'm running the Chicago Bears, I'm doing two things. One, I'm giving immediate training. His PR people need to tell him when he's used metaphors before. You don't want to repeat them. This is the social media age. We're keeping track, and frankly, it's boring. Two. You like that? For those of you not watching, I said two and held up three fingers. Got that, Coca? Number two is that he ought to focus more on winning games than on worrying about what his team is doing. The focus has to be on the field. Don't let the media bother you in your game planning and recognize the players can deal with the distraction. They can deal with the negative comments. They can deal with head coaching changes. They can deal with trades. Players can deal with all of it, because when they step between the lines, they're all doing their job, and it's all instinctual. Your job as an executive is to put them in the best position to succeed, and the best position to succeed is not based on telling them to put on earmuffs, unless, of course, you're Vince Vaughn. You know who should have had earmuffs was uh, the NFL, but they don't. 
so you think that players do things purposefully? Yes, they do. Uh, Clay Matthews and Baker Mayfield this year, uh, this week did something that is not surprising. Um, for those of you following the NFL, it's sort of clear. They, uh, got fined $12,500. It's a little more than meal money. It's let meal money. Do you know what meal money is? So whenever a team is on the road under the collective bargaining agreement, the players get a cash envelope. In that cash envelope, they are supposed to debine their meals. Now in baseball, of course, you take the cash envelope and this is how it works. The first day of a trip, you get the cash for the whole trip. If it's a 10 day trip, you get a very big envelope with a lot of cash. And it used to be a traveling secretary like George Costanza of Seinfeld would count out the $100 bills and he would make envelopes for everyone. Now teams hire banks to actually do the cash envelopes themselves. It's quite archaic. But the reason why players like being paid in cash is very simple. They gamble it on the team playing. They play poker or Texas Hold'em. And these games can lead to actual fights on the team playing. They can lead to arguments. They can lead to issues with players. Mostly it's just fun. So the fine for Clay Matthews and Baker Mayfield of 12500 is, again, that's more than meal money. Probably right around if you have a terrible day of poker, what you can lose on the team plane if it's from, let's say, Florida to Seattle. The short sort of Northeast Corridor flights, you don't have time to lose 12500 but it's still not enough to make a player be quiet. Now you're asking why were they fined? And the answer is they criticized the refs. Yes, you heard me. Clay Matthews came out and said what every single fan in the NFL and every single GM, owner, and player is thinking. The NFL officiating has been worse this year than in recent memory. That's not anecdotal. I'm not analyzing the plays. I'm not simulating all the games which have taken place. Anecdotally means that the perception out there is that the NFL refereeing has been worse than it has been in previous years. I'm watching games on Sunday. I see flags being thrown when I don't think they should be. I see no flags. I see delays. I see complaining. I see issues, and then I see players losing their minds. I'm okay with it. The way I like to work it with the Marlins, when we had an issue with an umpire with a bad call, there are certain players I would want to speak about it. I'm calling the league office to discuss the the umpiring. I'm speaking to the umpire directly the next day so something doesn't fester. I'm talking to the manager about how to approach this situation when he meets the media, but it's choreographed. It's planned. Question, did Clay Matthews and Baker Mayfield plan to say what they said? Based on the way they said it, I say no. This was off the cuff. The NFL finding them is wrong because it covers up the reality that the officiating has been terrible. What I would like to have seen the NFL do is to acknowledge that they are trying to improve the officiating to explain, if I'm Roger Goodell, my preference would be that the players in this league would not complain publicly about the officials. They're doing the best they can. They've missed more calls than usual. I'm owning that. We're going to try to improve it. Instead, they fine him 12500 The players roll their eyes and nothing actually changes or gets accomplished. Brings me to my favorite part of the show today. I get to review a show. I spent this weekend watching a show that 
got more attention than I actually would have expected. It's a show called Living With Yourself with Paul Rudd. It's an eight-part series, about a half hour each. It just dropped on Netflix. And Paul Rudd plays two parts, Living With Yourself. He plays himself and himself. I'm watching the show, and in the first episode, there's a scene with Tom Brady. And I'm watching live. I haven't heard anything about the show. I don't read reviews before I watch shows. And Tom Brady is walking out of a spa and smiling. Now, I grant you, many people, if not all people, walk out of spas smiling. They've gotten their back massaged. They've just gotten their nails done. Whatever the case is, generally you're smiling, not frowning. Tom Brady was smiling. It was a good scene of a great show. I get on Twitter after because I'm willing to read a review once I've watched the whole eight shows. And people are losing their mind over Tom Brady's cameo appearance. Claiming, claiming that he was making fun of his owner, owner, Robert Kraft, who famously got caught at a different kind of massage place, as in the kind where you leave laughing, not just smiling, walking on air. Tom Brady was just smiling, and it wasn't even a massage spa. It was a totally different kind of spa, but people accused him on Twitter of purposefully making Robert Kraft look bad. Why would Tom Brady do that? Why would he be making fun of Robert Kraft? He never would be. He respects his owner in the way that more players should. They've been together, is it 15 years, 20 years? Coca, be in my ear on that. Is it 15, is it 20? He's supposed to be telling me, I've got this guy in my ear, Matt Coca, and when I say how long has Tom Brady been playing, and I sort of hesitate, he's supposed to be telling me. Did you tell me yet? I think we're not on the air. So in any case, Brady's been there enough time that he should absolutely never make fun of his owner, and he wasn't. But he had to answer to the media before a game. He's got a game tonight against the Jets. He's trying to win another ring to be even a bigger goat. I'm not sure what's bigger than the goat, like the super-duper steroided goat. I'm not sure what. But he was forced to answer questions that basically impugned Tom Brady and the relationship he has with Robert Kraft. Excuse me. I find that to be embarrassing. The show itself is phenomenal. The Tom Brady cameo has nothing to do with Robert Kraft. It is a very important part of the story. Tom Brady's smile and him walking out in his one line. I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm going to give it the line, but it won't spoil it. First time. That's it. Smile. Tom Brady is iconic, perfect for the role, perfectly cast. Far be it for me to understand what all the hubbub is about, because from my standpoint, I wouldn't have answered. And Tom Brady did a great job with the media, turning it on them, saying, why are you making this a story? Why are you reporting on this? They have every right to report whatever they want, but he's got every right to say, that's ridiculous. I filmed this a year ago. It was written a year ago. This had nothing to do with Robert Kraft. Watch the show. So my message to you is, Watch the show. It's eight episodes, four hours. You'll love it. And then let me know at David P. Sampson. I want to hear from you on Twitter what you think of Tom Brady's cameo and whether it's actually meant to be a negative statement toward Robert Kraft. Well, we got one more day of no baseball. That's two days in a row. I'm getting sort of the DTs. I got to go to bed so early last night and tonight because I know that for the next seven out of nine nights, there's a chance for four-hour games, but there won't be. 
because we've got a World Series with two of the best starting pitching staffs that I can ever remember in a World Series. Let's talk about it. And I want to talk about, I'm going to preview it on tomorrow's show by position, talk about my prediction. But what I want to talk about is the day before a World Series and what goes on. Because it's really one of the coolest days. You get to go to the park. And uh, so the Nationals are flying to Houston right now. They're going to work out. So they get an itinerary. The way it works, any road trip, the itinerary is sent by the traveling secretary, another Costanza reference, and the players know when to be at the airport, exactly what time. They know what hotel they're staying at. There's likely a lot more complications for a World Series itinerary, and I've had one, and here's what they are. There's police escorts. There's more family in town. There's probably family allowed on the team plane. Most teams do not allow family on the plane, which I totally agree with. There was one wives trip a year, which then got canceled. Uh, we actually had some issues with that. Does it have to be a wife? Can it not be a significant other? Does there have to be an engagement? Do you have to show a ring? Can it just be a friend of a friend? So it created so many issues that we just said no family on the plane eventually, which is the better move. So, but for the World Series, like in 2003, we flew families, we flew our employees to New York uh, for game six so they could celebrate our victory or what we hoped would be. So there's a lot of distractions. And today is the day when those distractions have to start exiting. We wanted to put our players in a position to just focus on the field. And it starts the minute you take the field for your workout. Tons of media, tons of photographers, tons of celebrities, tons of possible distractions. Nationals, first World Series in their franchise history. Astros trying to become a dynasty, win two out of the last three. Pressure is on both teams. I wanna get into how teams deal with that pressure and what management does to alleviate that pressure. Differences in the clubhouse. You may have an extra masseuse ready to get some of the tension out. You may have extra trainers, you have extra attention. Your team psychologist is with the team. Every team has a psychologist making sure, walking around. You've got the scouts in town. You've got other people from the personnel baseball department walking around, talking to the players, keeping it light. The key that Jack McKeon taught me in 2003, keep it light. Let's have fun out there. And for the Nats, that's their key. And that's when it starts. The fun is today. That's when you start preaching it, their first workout. For the Astros, business as usual, right? They are gonna go in, they're gonna have an off-day workout. The home team gets to choose the time of the workout on an off-day. And the home team will always choose to work out at the time that the game is gonna be the next day. So it's a seven o'clock start, 7.08. If I'm the Astros, I'm working out at 7 p.m. I want my player's body clock to be the same as it will be the next day, and I will make the Nationals work out earlier. Or later, they get to choose. But if earlier is my guess, they're gonna fly in, do a three o'clock workout, or even a two o'clock workout, which may force them to fly out earlier Monday. That is why you want home field. That is the advantage of being a home team for four out of the seven games. Put the pressure on. The other thing that starts today is music. Yes, the Jumbotron is used by home teams to manipulate a situation and intimidate the road team. The Yankees in 2003, I will never forget this, and I'm so happy we beat them. During our batting practice, George Steinbrenner, the owner of the Yankees, 
made sure that what was playing on the Jumbotron was how great the Yankees are, going through all of their World Series triumphs, going through all of their successes, all of their walk-offs. They didn't show Mariano Rivera blowing a save against the Diamondbacks, I can promise you that. They didn't show Carlton Fisk's home run, but they certainly showed every positive Yankee moment. I was on the field in 2003 looking up, and I was wondering, I don't understand how we could possibly win. And Jack McKean was next to me, and I was looking up, and he said, who gives an S about that? Who cares? It's just a game, Sparky, and we're going to win. But the manipulation by the Yankees was legendary. Are the Astros doing that? Yes, they are. They choose music that their players like, not that the Nationals like. We would sometimes at Marlins Park just go silent. No music at all. Players love to have BP during music. We would cut the music. You are allowed to do that. Once the game starts, MLB controls the in-game entertainment in the playoffs. But pre-game, you still get to control it. During the game, out of control. Pre-game, use everything you can. Every amount of leverage and manipulation you can. And the Astros are doing it. That's not cheating. That's actually called competing. Big bit of business today came out of MLB. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's sort of frustrating for me a little. Uh, Jeffrey Laurie, the owner of the Marlins, sold his team for, with his partners for $1.2 billion. And, uh, I don't ever recall other owners calling to thank him. Because I thought that would be the bottom and the lowest a team would ever sell for. Turns out the Royals are selling this offseason to John Sherman a local Kansas Cityan, if that's what they're called, uh, for a billion. So that's less than 1.2, meaningfully less, actually, but still over a billion. But MLB has to change its rules because when we were selling the Marlins, we had to put together groups of people to pay the price we wanted to get. And to do it, it's not all Steve Ballmers out there who just write a check to buy the Los Angeles Clippers for two plus billion dollars. There are a couple of those guys out there but not many who have $2 billion in their checking account. There's some really rich dudes. But they've got to get more money. They've got to build a conglomerate. They've got to get investors. So Derek Jeter for the Marlins cobbled together a group of people led by Bruce Sherman, no relation, and got together the $1.2 billion. MLB came out, rumored today, a very, very interesting article on Fangraphs that I want to talk about because it's very meaningful. MLB, for the first time, rumor has it, will be allowing investment funds to become limited partners in Major League Baseball teams. Does that sound like French to you? No, c'est anglais. Je suis sûr. La raison est ça. Investment funds have money, and lots of it, and their job is to put that money to work. You know how when you go to work and you get a 401k plan and you invest your 401k plan, you're investing it in a fund. Those funds then make other investments. Or if you buy mutual funds on your app, you are investing in a fund that is buying things that you hope make money. So what funds do is they take everybody's money, they put it all together, and they invest in other stuff. Then, after everyone's gotten paid who works for the fund, after you've paid out fees to those people who run their funds, then the funds make a distribution back 
to the owners of the funds. If it's a publicly traded fund, you can buy and sell shares of stock that are generally unrestricted if you've ever bought stock. But if it's a restricted fund, which means there are rules, it means the fund is in charge when you get your money back. But the point here is, if investment funds are investing in MLB teams, they are doing so because they want profit. Would you invest in a fund whose goal was to sign Garrett Cole? Or would you invest in a fund whose goal was to make you money? It's pretty clear, because I'm a fan on off days. During the week, I'm not a fan. I'm working for money. I'm investing for money. So when I choose a fund who's going to invest in a baseball team, and that baseball team is signing free agents and operating not on a profit, without profitability, that's no good. So therefore, if funds are going to invest in teams, they've got to guarantee that those teams are profitable. In order to prove that your team is profitable, you have to show your books to the fund. You have to show that you will be profitable. You have to show what your payroll is. You have to show what happens if your revenue is not what you expected it to be and how you will cut expenses. Do you know that I could fire every single front office employee with the Marlins? Or I could trade one utility guy. I could fire everyone in the front office for the Marlins or not sign a middling reliever for a few million bucks. What do you think a team's gonna do if it's got investors who need to show profitability? It will impact payroll, salaries, winning. Not everyone can be the Tampa Braves. Do you know the Houston Astros and the Nationals, what they have in common? Their top three starters are the two teams with the highest money going to those three starters of any team in baseball. Over $70 million, more than the race payroll, is going to the starters one, two, and three. I'm talking Greinke, Verlander, Cole, Strasburg, Scherzer, Corbin. Forget Annabelle Sanchez. I'm talking those six guys. The Nationals and Astros are not owned by funds. But the next team where a deal is done and a fund actually ends up being a major partner in that team, let's watch to see what happens. Because the reason baseball is allowing it has nothing to do with any care about wins or losses for a team. It has to do with the value of that team. The job of the commissioner is for every team to be worth at least 1 billion, at least 1.2 billion. That's his job. In order to do his job, he has to allow more people, more entities to invest in these teams, to become partners in these teams. There's nothing so limiting as a limited partner, right? These funds are fine. They don't want to go on batting practice on the field. They want to invest to make money so they can make more money. This is a very interesting development, and I really don't know where it ends. Every day on this show, we give you a way to see topic. My way to see topic's a fun one. We've got a couple of them. Uh, several of our way to see is we're gonna start posting what they are for each day, and we'll do it by week, let's say, or every two weeks, we'll show a status report. My way to see today is a fun one, and it's about Dan Quinn. Hey, Dan, I gotta wait to see. Um, do you think that you'll be the coach of the Atlanta Falcons for week one of 2020? Um, wait to see. Bet on this one, folks. 
There's no chance. Arthur Blank has already told you, get your resume ready, you had a nice run, but you ought to be looking at a coordinator's job because come next year, at the latest, you will be out of a job. So Dan Quinn, will you be coach? Game one, 2020. Wait to see. The other thing we do on this show and we're always gonna do for you is we're gonna do picks. Now, the people in this office have gotten actually very wealthy since my show started because they have a very great pool going. All they do is take my picks and go the other way, which has been working brilliantly since nothing personal started. I've been focusing so much on the show, I've not focused enough on these picks. But today was out of character because I focused completely on the pick today. So everyone, hold on to your hats because I think we are finally gonna get a winner. Now, I had game six chosen correctly. Unfortunately, there was no show, so there was no pick. But the pick today, (laughs) I can't, I made a promise to myself when I was doing this show that I would not do this, and it's been a week and I'm doing it already. I said I would never, ever, ever go against the New England Patriots when they play the New York Jets. Never, I'm not doing it. I'm not betting on Sam, somebody kissed me Donald. Against Tom, I've got great cameos, Brady. I'm not doing it. And then I did the simulations, and I'm doing it. I'm giving you 10. 10. If we lose 9 nothing, we win. Take the points. Jets plus 10. Hold on. Do you hear that off, off, off camera? These microphones are so good, they don't pick up the sound. Everyone is on their app right now, and they're all laying the points. Wait to see. You may be wrong. Pick of the day. Jets plus 10. Hey, thanks for listening to Nothing Personal. It's been interesting today. And remember, it's just business. It's nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.